Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. So just very uh, quickly, we've been going through... Uh, I don't quite know how to describe it. It's not, we're not going through Exodus, but we're going through Moses, and Moses is predominantly in uh, parts of Exodus. And um, I've called this series Moses and the Servant of God, how God takes shapes and uses a life for his purpose. And um, I'm trying to get over the idea that, that, that when God takes hold of you, um, he doesn't do it according to your personality, your gifts, or, or even your, your character. He, he does it, bottom line, according to your obedience. God will use those who are available to be used and that God does that for his own purpose and not for your purpose. And uh, I know that doesn't sound great because in this modern world, we're, you know, we're almost like mini-gods. We have our own, our own kingdoms, our own worlds. We do our own stuff. Um, but, but when God wants to use people, he needs to know that they are totally for him. So when you read the story of Jesus, and yes, Jesus was different, but when you read the story of Jesus, littered throughout the story is the phrase, he only did what he saw his father doing. Littered right throughout it is that phrase, that that Jesus never did anything of his own accord. He never got up one day and thought, hey, do you know what, I'm just going to go and do this. He only never did what he saw the father doing. He only never attempted things that God led him to attempt. And and, you know, prior to Jesus, Moses uh, finds himself in a similar situation. But because Moses isn't Jesus, it takes a lot longer for Moses to get to that point where really he, he only sort of does what God says, but even then he does his own stuff. And so we've been looking at that uh, for a number of weeks, and we've had a few weeks off. Um, but we're coming to a point where there's a change in the story. And I suppose, if I can liken it to anything... If you've ever watched Star Wars, um, you know, you've got Star Wars uh, part one, and then part two is The Empire Strikes Back. So it's a slightly different film, uh, but it's about the same kind of thing. And uh, this is a point where there's a bit of a change. There's a bit of a change in the story where, where um, if you could look at it, you could say that Moses, what we've been talking about, is, is very personal. It's about this man called Moses how God took hold of his life, how God shaped him through 40 years in the desert. He, he took hold of him almost as a baby. He saved him as a baby. And at the end of his first 40 years, um, Moses tries to deliver Israel on his own. Why? Because there was something in him. There was something in him that wanted to make a difference, that, that wanted to release the oppressed people. There was something in his heart. It says in Hebrews that he identified with the people of God more than he identified with the Egyptians, even though he was raised as an Egyptian. There was something in him, something in his heart. But that in his heart was not enough for him to be used by God. And that's important because sometimes there are things in our hearts that God has placed there that that may even dominate our thinking and we think that's enough and it's not. It's not enough to be used by God. Because Moses had that thing in his heart and when he reacted, you know the story, he kills the Egyptian and he's doing that to try and release the people. He's trying to do something. I don't know whether he's trying to incite a rebellion or what he's doing, but he's doing something to try and help and he discovers it doesn't help. 
And I think it's really important for us to realise sometimes we can have things in our hearts, deep, deep things, big things that dominate us. I, I, I can have that. You can have things that are in your heart, deep things that God's put there and you can think that's enough. Right, I now know what God wants me to do. Off I go. Actually, that's not the case. That wasn't the case for Moses and it's not the case for you and it's not the case for me. God needed to do some stuff in Moses before Moses could be used in a way that was fruitful to God. Because in the end, I, I know it sounds funny, it was about God. It wasn't about Moses and what he could do. It was about God and what he could do. And so for those first 40 years, if you like, God takes hold of Moses uh, and, and, and we see Moses' thing comes out. And then Moses, he, he has to run away, doesn't he? He's, he's, he's under fear for his life. He runs away. He sits down by a well. All those dreams are shattered. All those thoughts about the future have disappeared. All those things that he thought, oh, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make a difference. It's all gone. And he sits down by a well. And he probably reflects, oh, God. And then for the next 40 years, Moses lives as a shepherd of sheep, literally. And I imagine in that process, if nothing else, Moses is humbled. Because he never had to do lambing before. Yeah? He never had to deal with the baying of the sheep before. He never had to hold a crook and defend them from wool. He never had to do anything like that before. He never had to take them to the well. to, to He never had to do anything like that before. He was a prince. So if nothing else, he would have been humbled through those 40 years. He would have been quietened down in those 40 years. There's a little bit of that drive would have disappeared and he became silent enough to hear God. He became quiet enough to hear God. So then when he sees the bush, he turns aside. Quite possibly he wouldn't have done that before, but he turns aside. What's that sign? So he goes over... And then he and God have this conversation, this wrestle, in which God says, basically, Moses, now's the time I'm going to send you back. And Moses wrestles with that, and through some fear, really, of, of going back and of, of, of uh, encountering the people again. But he goes back, and uh, God be, uh, God's been working in him. And, and during this period, if you like, God is shaping him. God is shaping his life. Even when he goes back, God still shapes him because I'm sure Moses, having encountered God, thought, right, okay, now I go back, it's going to be okay. But even then, he hits problems. He hits difficulties and he says to God, why did you send me? Why? I can't, I still, I can't do it. Why did you send me? And so God just comes to get again to him with his promises. And then we looked didn't we, um, when Moses encounters Pharaoh. And this was how he was going to release, deliver Israel out of Egypt. It wasn't going to be by inciting a rebellion among the Israelites. It was going to be by a face-to-face encounter with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh doesn't know who he's, who he's dealing with. Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord. He doesn't really honour the Lord. But he will soon know the Lord. And uh, we go through that situation of the, of, of the ten plagues of Egypt. And, uh, and then in this final or transitional point in the story, we're moving from the point where 
It's about Moses, the individual, who God takes, shapes, and uses to deliver the people. And at the end, if we have time, I might give us an opportunity to respond ourselves to God, where, where are you at? Has God taken hold of you? Or have you taken hold of you? Are you allowing God to shape you? In order for God to shape you, you have to die to your dreams. You have to die to your thing. You can't, you can't think God will shape you and you're holding on to your thoughts behind your back saying, okay, God, I'm happy for you to deal with me and I've got this thing I'm going to throw into the mix, the things that you've... No, you have to die to your dreams. And dying to your dreams is dying to control. Sometimes we don't want to lose control of our own destiny. If you're going to be used by God, you lose control of your own destiny. Don't think you can do it by not doing that. And so, um, and so that Moses, he's taken, he's shaped, and he's being, he's being used. And I will give us an opportunity to respond because, because really from next week, the story moves, and it moves away from Moses' personal, the servant of God, how God takes and shapes and uses a life. It moves towards a people. It changes. From next week, God is no longer, he's not worrying about Pharaoh anymore or deliverance from Egypt. That's happened. But what he brings out really is a bit of a rabble. It's a rabble of people. It's, it's a group of slaves. They, they don't know how to be a people. And God is now going to use Moses to shepherd the people. And we'll see how that goes because that becomes uh, relevant to us as a church that, that God doesn't just take hold of the individual. He takes hold of the community. Why? His promise to Abraham. That promise to Abraham was, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to bless all those who come into contact with you, and through you, I'm going to bless the world. That was the promise to Abraham. That promise was to be fulfilled through the church. So it makes sense for us to look then at, uh, at what it is to be a people, the people of God. But before we do that, we're going to finish on what it is to be a servant of God. And for some of us, we might need to do some dealings with God. So I tell you that now, there'll be an opportunity for you to deal with God and work out, where am I? Have I, have I allowed God to take hold of me? Is God shaping me? Have I died to my dreams? Or am I holding my dreams as a condition of obedience to God? So we're now in uh, uh, Exodus 13. I'm going to read a few verses uh, taking bits and pieces from the story. Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people round by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of Egypt equipped for battle. Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And then moving into chapter 14, we read about the crossing of the... Uh, and then in verse 10 it says, 
When Pharaoh drew near, the people had gone out. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is, it not, this, is, not, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Then the angel of the Lord, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. There was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And then the last few verses in chapter 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Get my notes absolutely mixed up here. Father, would you uh, speak to us today through your word? Amen. I want to ask you a question. I asked this question of Pauline. So there is a kind of a there is a sort of like a Christian answer, and then there's, you know, what would I really do? So the question is this. Um, and you might be able to relate it back to some experience that you've had. Uh, but the question is this. Do you think that if you saw for yourself supernatural activity or miracles, you would believe in God more? Do you think if you saw for yourself, isn't it just here, supernatural encounters or miracles, you'd believe in God more. Be honest, what, what do, you, do you think you would? Hands up if you think you would believe in God more. Okay. Cool. So we have here a situation where the Israelites are now being brought out of Egypt. This is massive. Yeah? This proves a number of things. It proves... God's faithfulness from the very beginning to Israel, it proves God's power and his ability to do what he says he's going to do. Uh, God just doesn't do it very quickly in our mind. It's been 430 years. So there aren't any Israelites alive that can remember when, um, you know, when, uh, when Abraham went into Egypt or Joseph went into Egypt. There's no one alive now to go, oh, yeah, I was there, I remember. No, no one was there to remember. Yeah, but they are there. And uh, the first thing you notice with the Israelites is that they are 
I've called it a fragile people, but you could say that they are a divine people, that they're not a people that have come about through their own design. They are a people that have come about through God's design, right from the beginning with Abraham, but certainly here. They're a divine people, yet they're also a fragile people. They're fragile in this sense that they come out of Egypt. It says that they're ready for war, but it's almost like they're not really ready for war. They say, you know, they come out, you can imagine them armed for battle, walking with their spears and their clubs or whatever, and God's thinking, oh, yeah, okay, I know they look like that, but they're not ready for war. If I send them that way, they're just going to get whopped, and then they're going to want to go back. So I'm not going to send them that way. And they, they come out very, um, they come out as a mixed people. So you've got the Israelites that come out, but others come out with them. They're not the only people to come out. Other people join, if you like, the throng of Israelites coming out of Egypt. It's almost like in Egypt, maybe there were many slaves from many different places. And when they saw the Israelites go in, other slaves probably thought, well, I'm just going to join them. Yeah, here's my opportunity to get out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just join them. So they came out as this people. They weren't aware at the time the magnitude of what was going on. So although it's there in the story, the Israelites themselves are not aware of it. They're not aware that they're a divine people. All they know is that they're coming out of Egypt. Yeah? And when Moses takes the bones of Joseph, that is a reminder of that divinity, that divine promise that Joseph said hundreds of years before, God's going to come to you here in Egypt. And now God has come to them. And, and Joseph said, when he does, take my bones. And it says in Hebrews that that was a sign of Joseph's faith. It was a reward for Joseph's faith that they would pick up his bones and take them. And, and you might think, well, what, what difference does that make to anything? Because he was dead then. Yeah? And yet we find that the promises of God outlive people. The work of God often outlives people. We, we work a little bit with this uh, church at Trinity on, on St. Matthew's Road. And there's a really interesting thing. This church, um, small congregation, you don't really know about it, um, but it's nearly 200 years old. And what I mean by that is in that building, it's down there, over there actually, in that building, there has been a living congregation of God's people for over two, nearly 200 years. That's pretty impressive. If you think about some of the big churches that come and go, that's pretty impressive. Some churches don't last a generation. They don't last 10 years. Yet that church has sat there for years. Now, I remember a few weeks ago meeting up with um, the trustees of the Clapham Youth Centre. And uh, this is just a, it's a group of four or five uh, older people who, um, who have managed this Clapham Youth Centre, which, which celebrates its 50th anniversary this year. What was really interesting meeting them was, and, and quite challenging, was at the heart of the youth centre among the trustees, and they are like 75 and 74 and 56 years, that kind of age, there is still a faith-filled desire that the gospel changes lives and ultimately that's what young people need. And I was amazed because I, I mix with all sorts of groups of people doing all sorts of great works among young people, but they don't all believe that. And they certainly don't all make that the heart of it. 
Now, they were aware they couldn't do everything they wanted to do, but at their heart was still that belief. This isn't just about mentoring and helping young people. This is the gospel still changes them. We still believe it. And so you get little bits of works that are all over the place that actually have this heart in them. And Joseph's bones represented that. It was a promise that he he had held on to. And now that promise was being rewarded generations later. That was not just benefiting him, it was benefiting them. Oh, we're taking Joseph's bones. Joseph said God would come. God has come. God is faithful. God has come. It's true. And then we see this other bit of, uh, if you like, the divine with them. Divine guidance. That these people don't come out with a map. They don't come out with, with Moses having a GPS and working out which direction to go. They come out following a cloud. Now imagine saying that. Oh, we're just, we're just, what, how, are we, how are we going? Well, there's a cloud up there and we're going to follow that cloud. But, you go, but clouds, clouds don't move like that. Yeah? It's, it, it's a supernatural following. They're going to follow a cloud by day, and at night they see a pillar of fire. I can't even begin to imagine. Oh, see that, see that, see that bright light over there? Oh, that's, the, that's God. He's leading us by that, by that pillar of fire. For them, it's normal. Yet they are being, uh, they're being led in a divine way, and those things, the pillar of cl- the, pill- the cloud and the fire represent the very presence of God looking over his people. God knew that he needed to be with them. He knew it wasn't enough just to send Moses off. He knew he needed to lead, guide, and protect Israel. Supernatural presence. And yet there's nothing in the story that makes us go, the Egyptians, or the Israelites don't go, oh, my goodness me, we're being led by clouds and by fire. They don't do that. They say to Moses, why have you brought us out? Why have you brought us out here? Wouldn't it be better that we die over there? So there's this divine people. There's this divine promise that we're represented by the bones. There's this divine guidance represented, represented by the cloud and the fire. And then you have this divine intervention. So God leads them. And they end up in a place where they're by the Red Sea. And remember, before Moses, no one had parted the Red Sea. Yeah? Whereas we know, if I was at the Red Sea now, I can at least imagine, oh, Moses parted the Red Sea. The thought is in my head. Before Moses, the thought wasn't even in the head. So they're standing by the Red Sea, and they look back, and they see coming towards them the Egyptian army. There's this great bit in the film, um, oh, the film that's just come out. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who plays Moses? Yeah, so there's this great bit in the film where he's standing by the sea and, and the people say to him, you don't know where we're going, do you? And he says, all I know is there's a sea in front and there's an army behind <laughs> He sort of just stands, that's all I know. There's a sea in front and there's an army behind. And so as the army come, the people, it says, they feared greatly. And, and you would, wouldn't you? If, 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 if we had been led out, our little company of people, and we had been 
tracked by a group of hoodlums and they're after us and there's many more of them than us and they've got weapons. We would be scared. <laughs> yeah? Let's not pretend. Let's not go, well, no. No, we would be scared. Yeah? And I wouldn't be the leader. <laughs> One of you would rise up and, go, and you'd be going, where's Owen? <laughs> and Pauline would say, oh, he's just popped over the hill there. We would be scared. And they, they were scared, yeah? And, and what do they do in that moment of fear? Moses, why did you bring us out? Surely it was better that we died in Egypt than we die here in the wilderness. Surely. They hadn't, no one knew about the parting of the sea at this point. But it's interesting because Israel are fearing the Egyptians. But if you read on in the story, the Egyptians are also fearing Israel. So we're all frightened. We're all scared. We don't know they're frightened of us, but they're as frightened of us as we are of them. Why does God bring them out? You see, deliverance forced them to face their greatest fear. Sometimes you might be on the edge of deliverance and it forces you to face your greatest fear. Being killed by the Egyptians was huge for them. They didn't want to die, really. They certainly didn't want to die there. Moses tells them, fear not, stand firm. The Lord will fight on your behalf. Wait for God. In the future... God would fight through the Israelites. At this moment, he's fighting for them. He's fighting for them. They're not in a position to fight for themselves. Just like Moses. In the past, God was working in Moses. Right now, God is working through him. Moses has gone through that process of being taken hold of, being shaped by God. He's now being used by God. God is using Moses in this part of the story. The parting of the Red Sea was not one of the options they had in mind. But Moses had learnt to trust God. And now begins that period when God is using Moses to teach Israel to do the same. You need to learn to trust me. That's what it comes down to. You see, a mature leader... does less and waits more. He says less, she, he or she, says less and listens more. They argue less and they obey more. So if you're maturing as a leader, those things should become true of you. You do less and you wait more. You say less and you listen more. You argue less and you obey more. Sometimes we can dismiss difficulty and pressurised circumstances as though God did not have a hand in creating them. So if you're going through difficulty, sometimes that difficulty can be such, can be so pressurised that you can't imagine God can be in it. This must be the enemy at work in me, attacking me. Maybe he's attacking me because of all the good things I'm doing. Sometimes... It's the circumstances that God has created for your deliverance in order that you would grow in your faith in him. 
And that's more important to him than any success you think you might achieve. It's more important that he has people who are obedient. God often orchestrates the trouble we are in. Not trying to be funny. Not trying to say God isn't still loving and compassionate and gracious. But he will often orchestrate the trouble that you are in. If you know that, then you know how to pray better. God, help me in this moment. Rather than, God, I bind this and I bind that. No, God, help me in this moment. Give me the patience I need to walk through this. Give me the courage I need to walk through this. The truth is, though, just like the Israelites, we are tempted to pull back. At that moment of pressure at that moment of challenge, at that moment where I am scared, I'm tempted to pull back. I'm tempted to do exactly what they do, which is, couldn't you just have left me there? Surely it'd be better for me to be a slave than to be here. It'd have been better for me just to, just to go and do that. Sometimes the pressure that we feel under means that we can just take what amounts to the easy option. I'm, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay? Better be to work in Sainsbury's than to be a pastor. Surely, God. Surely, God, there are moments when that feels like that. I just I'd stack shelves. I'm quite happy. I can do that. I can count. I can sing. Shelves don't speak back. Tins don't have their own thoughts. I can line them up and they'd be the same the next day. Sometimes pressure makes us want to pull back because pressure causes us to face fears that we often don't want to face. Yet we have to remember, it says in, talks about in John, that, you know, if the world hates you, Jesus says, just remember it hated me first. And our response can be, oh, do you know what, I don't really want the world to hate me. So I, I understand that, Jesus divine one, but I don't really want the world to hate me. Yeah. It can be a challenge for us. But Moses, because God had brought Moses through some stuff, he, he says to the people, the Lord will fight for you. And in some commentators it says that phrase, only just be silent, could also be translated, just shut up. Just shut up. <laughs> Keep the noise down. God's in here. God's in this. God will fight for you. And there's a rebuke at their lack of faith. So there is this thing of divine intervention and then finally there's this divine deliverance. You see, ultimately God delivered Israel just as he promised he would. Pharaoh and his hordes are swept into the sea and drown. That might seem bizarre to us when we think about justice and all those kinds of things and what does that mean about God. But this was how God demonstrated his glory and he said he was going to do it. He, he gets rid of all the Egyptians and he brings out his people. You would have thought, if God can do that, and it says at the very end, doesn't it, that that the people believed and they put their trust in Moses uh, and in God. You would have thought, if God can lead people out 
of Israel, out of Egypt, out of slavery. If God can do that thing he promised, okay, it took him hundreds of years and the people who he first spoke that to never saw it happen, but they get mentioned because it's a faith thing. That if God can do that, say he can do something, and then does the very thing that he says he's going to do, you would have thought it would help us go, God can lead me. If, if God can bring out, they estimate, two million people who were a bit of a rabble, surely God can lead me. I don't, I don't have the same demands, I don't think so, of this two million people. I don't have the same requests of those people. Surely God can lead me. If God can promise, guide, intervene and deliver a nation, surely he's worth following and trusting. You see, you could make a story about Israel that ends there. And it looks like the story ends happily ever after. The Israelites were released from slavery and they lived happily ever after. It's a Disney movie. Yeah? In fact, there is a Disney movie, isn't there? Maybe we should watch it together. Prince of Egypt. They live happily ever after. But the reality is, it doesn't end like that, does it? And the reality is, amazing as this might seem, these guys lived a constant miracle every day and they didn't realise it. They didn't even know it. It's not long, we will find, before they complain about the onions and the garlic of Egypt. The fact that God is supernaturally providing for them every day and has led them out of Egypt isn't enough. So I asked us that question at the beginning. If you saw constant supernatural activity, do you think you would believe in God more? And many of us said, yes, we think we would. But the reality is, the people of God, Israel, lived supernatural activity every day in the wilderness. God provided for them every single day. God brought them out of Egypt. every And, and, and they, he did something that he promised he would do. He did it. They lived with that truth every day. Moses made sure they didn't forget that every day. Did they trust him more? Did they believe in him more? The truth was that that generation sadly died in the wilderness. Why? Because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. Now, I'm not trying to knock supernatural activity at all. But I'm saying <clears throat> there's a difference between believing in God and believing in the supernatural. Do I believe in God or do I believe in the things that God has done? Is my faith in God or is my faith in the fact that I know these people got out of wheelchairs? I mean, I've been in a church where all of those kind of things have happened. We've seen the supernatural. We've seen miracles time and time again. We've seen testimonies. Do I believe the testimonies or do I believe in God? Because there's a difference. 
when I believe in God, that belief is unshakable. When I believe in the testimonies, when I believe in the growth, when I believe in the miracles, when I believe in the supernatural, that goes up and down. In the end, this was not to be about the miracles. This was, do they believe and trust God? And that's still the question for us. The truth is, it wasn't enough. And I don't mean to burst the bubble of the story, but it wasn't enough. And God knew it wasn't going to be enough. And that's why God ultimately had a plan to send Jesus. Why? Because Jesus wasn't going to cause us to believe things on the outside. Jesus was going to come and live in our hearts. It became clear that laws on the outside weren't enough. There are moments you read in the story of Israel where the people say, I mean, Joshua says to the people, are you going to do what God says? Yes, we will. Yes, we will. But it's not long before they're just doing what they want to do. You see, the truth is, in the the end, God needs your heart. He wins your heart. Jesus goes for the heart. God says to Samuel, um, you look on the outward appearance, I'm looking at the heart. It didn't mean that David, who was described as a man after God's own heart, it didn't mean that David didn't sin, but it did mean in his heart, David was for God. That meant when he did sin, he was oh so repentant. Are you repentant when you sin? Do you struggle every day with sin? And I don't mean are you being beaten back by sin, but we live in a world that challenges us every day with sin, every single day. Our attitudes, our thoughts, what we look at, what we don't look at, what we say when we're in the office, when we have that conversation, we get involved in the gossip here and the this and that. Every day we can struggle with sin. Do you struggle with sin every day? Because you ought to. You ought to. You ought to be on a daily basis. Oh, Father, help me. God, God, yeah, keep me. God, don't let me. God, oh, God, no. There will never be a point where you rise above and you're floating and you're thinking, oh, do you know what? There's no sin in my life. I look around, I just see beauty and the wonder of the world. No, you see beauty and you covet it. Yeah? And we just think, oh, that's just the way it is. No. God wants to win your heart fully. And Jesus came to make that possible. It wasn't done by the law. It was done by the Spirit. It wasn't done because I was born a Jew or an Israelite. It was done because I believed by faith. So it's possible. Not that sinlessness is possible, but it's possible to fight sin every day and to win It's possible not to accept it, not to go, oh, yeah, but that bit, oh, yeah, I just can't deal with that right now. (coughs) So I'm just going to really bring this to an end, and I'm just going to go back to what I said at the beginning because it marks the end of this first bit of this story. This bit has been personal. It's about Moses. 
And because it's personal about Moses, not in the sense that we're Moses, the deliverer of Israel, but it's personal about us. God took hold of Moses. He shaped Moses and he used him. Has God taken hold of you? Is God shaping you? Is God using you? It's important because we can otherwise have all sorts of thoughts about what we want to do. But if God does not own you, those thoughts are your thoughts. They're not his thoughts. Those thoughts are the same thoughts that Moses had when he killed the Egyptian. That he thought he was trying to deliver the people, but he wasn't. And sometimes we just need to die to our own stuff. How do I know when I've died to something? I know it when I'm no longer in control of whether that thing happens or not. If you're in control of your destiny, then God's not in control of your destiny. And I've, I've used this, just very briefly, this example before, I've used it. When I felt called to full-time Christian ministry and I married Pauline, and I didn't tell her that, and I should have done, so don't follow that, that way of operating. I didn't tell her that. When she discovered it, she was disappointed. She wasn't, well, hey, it would be great. I wonder if I always wanted to be a pastor's wife. No, it was, oh, really? And it was, oh, I don't, I don't even see leadership in you. Those were her words. Now, I, I don't say that, I love my love. Yeah. But those were her words. And I remember saying to her somewhere around that, my love, if I am to enter into any form of Christian ministry, you will be the voice of God to me. If you never get there, I never go there. And saying that to Pauline was not saying that to someone who was like, oh, you know, I always knew in her heart that she was. No. Saying that to Pauline was risky. And I remember there were moments when I thought, oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> I put this thing out of my control. I no longer have control over this. And Pauline, we were just getting on with life, and she was just doing her thing, doing her thing. Yeah? I never put pressure. We never talked about it. But I knew I was no longer in control of that thing. So I was trusting God. If you have a destiny, thoughts, dreams, don't be in control of them. Put them in God's control. Put them somewhere where you go, God, if that's you, it's you. That's not me opening doors and doing stuff and being resourceful. That's you. That's your work. The other reason that we can sometimes struggle with our, our dreams is, is, is through fear. Some of us are just frightened. Maybe it's because of past experience, but Moses, Moses didn't have so much an issue with control, but he did have an issue with fear. He was frightened about what God had called him to. He was fearful of it. He was worried about what that would look like. What would the people do? How will I respond? How will, I, I, can't, I can't do it. Send someone else. That was Moses, and that is some of us. We're fearful about God's work in our lives, about what God might be calling us to. We're fearful. But actually... We just need to come and bring those fears to God. Learn to pray your fears to God. Learn to bring them to him. And for others of us, so there's control, there's fear, there's a, there's a final thing, and it's we just love the world too much. Paul talks, doesn't he? He talks on a number of occasions about people who loved the world. He said, oh, so-and-so's left us because he loved the world too much. 
And it doesn't actually mean that you have to love the world 100%. It's just you sometimes think, oh, there's a balance between loving God and loving the world. Because in God, there are no balances. It's either all him or not him. There's not a balance where God goes, well, do you know what, you can, this week you can just love the world. It's fine. And the next week, you know, use my week. Yeah. No, it's either all God or it's not God. And some of us can love the world just a little bit too much. And we love what the world gives. And in fact, we can even bring God into it. It's wonderful. God's blessed me with all these wonderful things, all this leisure time. I can do this. If you want to be used, your heart needs to be full of God. It needs to be full of Jesus. Let's pray. I said I was going to give us an opportunity to... um, to respond is going to be very quick. So we've come to the end of this bit where it's personal. It's about you and it's about God. And so I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. (coughs) Because when we move on, you can feel like it's, it's more about the church. But today, God is after your heart. He's after your dreams. He wants you to, he, he wants to use you. You need to put down your dreams. And so if that's you, if you're sensing that, if you realise, oh, do you know what, I'm, I'm controlling things, if you realise I'm fearful of stuff, or maybe you just love the world too much, if, if one of those relates to you, I just want you to stand and I'm going to pray. And then we're going to finish. We stand so quietly in this church that people don't even know people are standing. Okay, I'm not going to prolong this. Let's just hold our hands out and I'm just going to pray. And you're just going to say amen and, and if you like, adopt that prayer. Father, I thank you that you love us enough to point out when we've got it wrong. And Father, I thank you that you are a God that that demands our whole attention, that you do not share us with another, certainly not out of choice. And Father, for those of us standing, we are acknowledging that At times in us, there's a divided heart. Some of us, you have placed things in us that we are absolutely passionate about. They are do or die. They are are issues that we would, in our own hearts, I'd go for that, I would give everything. And yet, Father, even after you made that promise to Abraham that he would be the father of nations, of a nation, you asked Abraham to put Isaac on the altar. 
because you were not prepared to share even the promise in his heart. And so, Father, for those of us who are responding because we feel that we cannot give up control of our destinies, I pray, O God, that you will help us to find ways where we can give you control, where it's no longer about us. And Father, for those of us who are fearful about what you might have called us to, and in some ways we avoid it because there is fear in our hearts, I I pray, O God, that like Moses, ultimately we would submit to your call and be obedient to your ways. And Father, there are others of us where we love the world. The truth is we all love the world. But Lord, there are some of us where we love the world just a bit too much. And it has become a distraction. All the good things that the world seems to offer. And I pray that we would learn the lesson of the scriptures. That those who loved the world do not inherit in the same way. And so, Father, for all of us who are standing and who are acknowledging in one way or another our need to put you first, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come to us now. You would fill us now. Where we need to repent, we would repent. Where we need to make ourselves accountable, we would make ourselves accountable. Where we need to give up, we would give up in order that we might see your hand at work in our lives in ways that we cannot even dream. That was it for Moses. He could not have dreamt what you did. And Father, for us, we cannot dream what you could do in and through us. We pray this in the name of your Son and for the glory of your name. Okay, well, we're going to finish there. And uh, sorry we've gone over, we won't do that again. Uh, There are drinks, and I'm sure there are children to collect who will talk about wonderful times that they've had. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.